Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Want to welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides today on OTV, man. Chris, we talk about that uh, that tough loss against Japan. Saudi Arabia tomorrow, we're recording this on a Tuesday. They play Saudi Arabia tomorrow, hoping to sort of lick their wounds and make some changes. Uh, wow, a couple things, a couple thoughts here. First of all, uh, Greg Berhalter said they got their butt kicked. And, you know, Chris, I was uh, – Traveling on Friday, didn't get to see the game in real time. So I saw the comments and the ratings first. And I was expecting something a lot worse, to tell you the truth. I thought the guys tried to have composure coming out of the back. Uh, What I think people, in my opinion, missed was how good Japan was. Japan was technical uh, and hardworking. They flooded zones. uh, They won a lot of balls. They caused a lot of of turnovers. What, what, What did you think? Yeah, I wasn't surprised at the result. That could happen very easily. Japan is mm-hmm. a very good team, uh, certainly not too far behind or ahead of us. Uh, yeah. And if they play well and we don't play particularly well, that's what's going to happen. Uh, I think, you know, I know you had concerns about the goalkeeping position, but I think Matt Turner did a good job there. I think we should be concerned about the center back pairing. Um, yeah. I think we have bodies at outside back, but I'm not loving those kinds of players on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, right. The midfield, if you don't play particularly well on that given day, that puts more pressure on our back line, which is not where we want to be against good teams. And uh, up front, yeah, we, you know, we didn't get the goals that we wanted. Ferreira had a chance or two and didn't get, you know. Well, the, you know, you talk about a chance. If, if Ferreira had finished that, it would have been quite a different game, I believe, because Japan would have had to start chasing the game a little bit. I, You know, I thought I thought they, they missed Musa in the midfield, um, really, because he – he can hold the ball. He can, um, you know, sort of absorb some pressure for you, break some lines with his, you know, possession game that he plays. So I thought that was missed. Polisic was missed, obviously. I think there's so many question marks is the problem. I think Japan was sort of set. That was their team. Um, you know, yeah. what we have in the back, we have injuries and guys, uh, you know, death to throw up in the air. Zimmerman, I think, gave some balls away, but I think he still played well. Uh, Long, I don't think, helped himself at all um, in the long, the long yeah. kick. Long run. I don't think we're far off from what the team. I mean, the reason why the game is is disappointing is because we. That's sh- a pretty close version of what the team's going to be. You know, it's, right? It's a, we should be able to play. Let's say without Pulisic, and 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 then we're not drastically different. You know, we still had enough of our primary players. Call them our top sixteen players. You know, we had a right. lot of those players on the field, and so when a lot of those players are on the field, we should be able to go toe to toe and feel good about things. But they are a very quick team, Japan. They pressed in a really good way, and we had a very hard time with that. Uh, and it wasn't a game that you walk off feeling like you performed well individually or collectively. So that's alarming, right? Well, all right. So let's go through uh, some of it. I think um, Matt Turner made some great saves. He's the player to beat at this point in the keeper position. I think. I think Taylor Twelman who continues to talk a little too long when there's action in the attacking third of the field. Again, everybody I was with was yelling to be quiet while they were, you know, playing, you know, with a goal scoring opportunity. It's just not the time to talk uh, about stuff. It's got really great insights and, and information, but you, you gotta, you gotta 
time it better. And I feel like there's no one talking to him there. Anyway, um, I felt like Turner, he said he thought Zach Steffen was going to be the, the keeper to beat. And I don't think that's true. I think uh, Matt Turner certainly is there. I think Walker Zimmerman is a lock. Um, like I said, I don't think Aaron Long did himself any justice. Uh, Sergino Dest will be out there. Um, you know, he goes uh, he goes from good to great, but uh, he got a tough rating too. I mean, Mike Wojtola at Soccer America gave Dest a four, gave Walker Zimmerman a four, gave Long a three. Sam Vine struggled, I think, a little bit. Um, but my question with Sam Vine is what was happening. They made adjustments at halftime, and Sam seemed to be able to get forward a little bit more. So maybe – what do you think is from a coaching perspective, why was he sort of jammed up in that first half? And then I mean, I think he was just given second. an opportunity. I don't think he has enough looks with the team yet. And that's a really yeah. tough situation to walk into, especially when the team itself isn't playing particularly well. Um, right. So if he's on the outside of the bubble trying to get into the roster, uh, that was a really tough day for him. You know, it's not completely fair to him, but it's a, uh, it's a chance that he had to try to raise his stock with Anthony Robinson being out right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if he necessarily did that, but I, I think the goalkeeping position is squared away. I think Turner is the number one. Yeah. I think there's no more questions there. Zimmerman. It doesn't matter what Zimmerman does in these next couple of games. He's starting. Uh, yeah. And now the question is who's next to him. And then on the outside, I think you've got Dest and Yedlin on the right. And then you've got Yedlin uh, and Dest could actually come on to the left if need be. And if, if Anthony Robinson can't come back and then you could play um, uh, not only Dest, but you can also play um, Yedlin on the right. So I think that's going to be some version of the back line. Aaron Long, okay, maybe the ratings for him weren't that high, but I'm not so sure this late in the game. Yeah, I have another solution. Uh, that might be where we go with this thing. So that could be your back five, yeah. quote unquote. He's certainly not the player he was before his injury. So it does take a couple of years to get back completely. So uh, we, we can only hope for the best there. But, I, you know, a, a three rating, I think, for Long was not far off. I thought it was tough uh, for a four with Zimmerman. Sam Vines, uh, you know, he had some trouble out on the outside back there. Um, the midfield as well got got crushed in this Soccer America thing from by Boitola. Um, Weston McKinney at three, Tyler Adams at three, Luca Del Torre at three. Um, I guess Weston nor Tyler got into the game very much. Uh, you didn't see them for long periods of time. What did you think was happening in the midfield? Just frustration? Yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting one because they've been playing a lot of really big games for their club recently. Mm -hmm. And then you understand the World Cup is coming. So this is a little bit of a, you know of a lull in the action, although it shouldn't be, you know, you'd like mm -hmm. to think that they would be sharp and really wanting to, you know, have a good performance in these last two friendlies before the game, but they kind of know they're starting in the world cup, don't they? So if they know they're starting it, it kind of makes, uh, it makes it a little bit difficult sometimes to, to get the engine going. So I wonder if they're pacing themselves a little bit and maybe they were just didn't, yeah, didn't not, not giving it that due. regard and didn't play to their best. Yeah. I mean, just like not giving it its due. Uh, the game yeah i think they have positions and they're not worried about you know starting which is tough like to go back to your point about a sam vines who's trying to make an impression and if guys are not quite playing full tilt uh it's frustrating it's annoying yeah and we're not good enough to not play full tilt and so you, you don't know if, if there's fatigue involved or what's been going on in training because it is at the end of the day training uh and it is a friendly and i know it's in front of a lot of people and all the fans and the pundits are looking at it as a you know, a precursor to the world cup, but typically for coaches and players, it's, it's less important than that. It's more the exercise of it. And that's why they did all the substitutions that they did. Is yeah. To get the At halftime. Yeah. I, I thought at that point, Berhalter was not chasing the game. He was basically like, okay, we've gotten off to a poor start here. Let me check out some players. Let's not 
the win's not the important thing. No, I, I mean, well, there's that, but there's also, I think he scripted and he, he admitted to scripting a lot of these substitutions, no matter what the halftime score was. Oh, really? So, yeah. So like, I know, for example, in college, uh, we, if you get one or two scrimmages before the season begins, every coach handles it differently, but some coach will handle it as I really don't even care about the scoreline. I want to play one group in the first half, one group in the second half, and I'm just going to look at people. And I think that that there was a version of that that he did in this game. And and now, so the separate question is, you know, do you criticize that? Do, do you put your best eleven out there and have them play extended amounts? Uh, how do you manage these two friendlies? How does that lead up to the preparation for the next camp, which is the real camp? And then how many of these minutes are that you're giving out are truly auditions? Like is Sam Vine on audition right now, or is he truly yeah. in the group, or definitely not in the group and just stepping in to get through this patch? You know, they only know that behind the scenes what the truth is in each of those cases. Yeah. And you know what? A lot's going to change with Saudi Arabia t- tomorrow or when this airs to today. Um, you know, a lot's going to change there. And then this, they go back to their clubs and there's going to be some injuries and some changes again. Uh, I think the only, you know, respite we can have is to think that, well, other teams are going to go through the same thing. So with injuries and everything else. So, uh, and it's a weird time for a World Cup in November. It's uh, it's just odd. It's odd for us to, to be thinking about it. Yeah, um, it's, but, the preparation but, is odd for a coach, I would imagine, because you're starting and stopping so much and you don't get that four or five week camp before the World Cup. So now with the starts and the stops and player, now you're having camp in Germany. You know, this is where they were. They were based out of Germany, not even in the U.S. You can't set up shop in a big way. And so uh, there's it's much more of like a FIFA date than it is a prelude to the World Cup. It's interesting. You know, I thought it was a bit of a mistake to have it over there uh, only because I thought that if they had hosted two friendlies here in the United States, there would have been a big crowd to see, you know, a World Cup, you know, friendly. Um, And the guys would have been a little bit more, you know, excited to play. Um, You know, because like if you're Weston McKinney, you know, you're tired. You're playing some games and now you got to go out and you got to play Japan. And the team is not what the team is going to be with all the injuries. Um, So it's a lethargic performance is what we got. And I think what I noticed for me, I thought Japan is playing the way Burhalter wants America to play, wants the U.S. to play. Do you agree? Well, going back to the, the about where the camp is first, you know, I, I mean, all these players are in Europe. So the, the idea yeah. of bringing it back to the U.S. is that much more travel, which no one wants. So I think right. I, I understood why they did that. That that part makes some sense. There's only a handful of MLS players in the group. Um, so th- there's that. But in terms of what Japan did, yeah, I mean, there's a version of way, you know, the way Greg Berhalter wants to play that has a counter press where it's positional play. And I think Japan was a little bit better on the day in terms of how they scripted their pressure. And all it takes is in a first 11 is to change one or two things, change one midfielder, one outside back, you know, and, and that changes your rhythm when you're trying to play out of the back. So that's why and it's a little unfair to truly evaluate Sam Vines just in that one game. Right. Um, but that's where an hour, it takes long. That, an hour long, and but it takes that kind of coordination to break, to play out of pressure. And yeah. this is where I think a lot of people who are criticizing the U S performance are saying, Hey, look, we wanted an authentic repetition here. We wanted to be able to work through this with our first group. Why are we rotating as much as we are? Right. Um, and don't you have your questions answered by now? So it's, I could see it both ways. There's a fair criticism there. And at the same time, I could understand what Greg Berhalter is doing. It'll be interesting to see how he handles this last game. If he changes the script and actually plays, let's say 13, 14 players. What do you think he does? Well, I, if, if I were coming off of that performance, 
I would think he'd want to have his best 11 out there. I don't know where the, where Pulisic is with his injury and if they're willing to yeah. push it. I don't know how serious it is either. So I think that's quite a one question mark. You don't know. But I also think that he's not making this – like when you ask me that question, I'm, I'm answering it based on having seen the first game. Much more likely the coaches have decided before the camp began how they're going to handle both matches, and they're not going to alter that plan at this point because it involves minutes and training and everything is scripted towards that original plan. So no matter what happened in the first game, they're going to probably fall through on their plan for the second game. Well, look, a lot of our, our top players are uh, somewhat fragile. You know, we've talked about this on the show before. Pulisic gets hurt. He's thinly built. Uh, Gio Reyna, same thing, has been struggling. I worry about Brendan Aronson. He plays pretty much balls out 90 minutes. Love to watch him play. Love his effort. And it's not just effort. I mean, the kid cuts down angles. He he um, is technically sound. He's a good player. I just worry that he's going to get hurt. He took some hits. And uh, I guess it's it's part of the game. Timothy Weah is hurt. Um so yeah, you know we have a different look team in November, but we'll have a different look team against Saudi Arabia. I, I just think, I feel like that was a little bit of like the whole Klinsman thing, where we don't know who's playing where and when, uh, and so there was no sort of cohesive. Yeah, uh, the the best case it. scenario is that. This is all according to plan, and he has a script for the first game, a script to the second game. He's going to follow that plan, finish off the last camp, and go into it fully prepared. That would be the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is that we have all these injuries that are worse than we think, and we're all chasing our tail, and we're all trying to plug in people last minute and try to find new combinations here at the last second before the world. Yeah. That's the worst-case scenario. And again, if if Jesus finishes that goal, or I think you have Yunis Musa in the midfield to just help you break the lines a little bit, because when you broke that midfield line, it was on. It was on. And, uh, you know, I don't think we were as effective in the attacking, you know, the third as we could have been. So um, had a great weekend, by the way. Some people say hello. I was up at the UMass alumni soccer game. And we had former talent on ESPN, Seamus Mallon, on a couple of months ago. I remember he said to me, uh, oh, I'm playing in my alumni game at Harvard. And I said, you know, how old are you? Seamus is 80. Mm. So, you know, and I thought. And I got to get out there. I got to play my alumni game. So I felt like I was 80 out there, but I got out with the boys and uh, we had a good kick around. It was a wonderful weekend. Uh, you know, got to catch up with a lot of the alumni. And I, I swear to you, you know, for these college teams, uh, Fran, who's the coach at, at UMass, he's really built a, um, a network of alumni who are looking to mentor and help young people, you know, th these college students, and they're really serious about their studies, which was surprising because I wasn't when I was there. And I'm not mentoring anybody because nobody wants to wind up at Uncle Bucky's Chuckle Hut in Iowa on a Wednesday night doing drunks, uh, telling, you know, dick jokes to drunks with no teeth. But uh, but enough about your parents, Chris. Um, no, I, I think uh, I had a great, great time seeing the guys. And it was a, a sort of a, we were honoring Chris Picos, who was an amazing Amazing guy. I did not know him, unfortunately, but boy, hearing stories about him today, uh, one of his former teammates, Chris Brown, was talking about him. And just he was a special forces soldier who came back from doing some tours in Afghanistan, and he was a sophomore at UMass goalkeeper. They said he was six four, two eighty, and wow. just was not only a physical presence, but just uh, one of a kind kind of guy. He passed away, um, and uh, they honored him. And it's funny, our All American goalkeeper Zach Simmons who had gone to the final four with UMass with, uh, with two scholarships, by the way, UMass went to the final four with two scholarships. Um, 
he was there as well and was telling me stories. Just he said it made him better. Just imagine a guy with that sort of training background. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sam Coke, who was the coach back then, said lose 40 pounds to be a keeper here. And he lost 40 pounds. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. like right like that. So uh but yeah. I, I just feel like nobody you not to belittle what war is, but because uh, you know, that guy really went to war. But I feel like that's the closest thing we get when you go into battle with your buddies. Um, and it be, there's a bond there. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. You're fighting like hell against other teams and, and that never goes away. Yeah. So. No, I had a similar situation in that I had a, a player once who uh, served, I think, one or two tours in Afghanistan. And when he came back, he came back and played for me um, and was a center midfielder who I took kind of on a whim. He wasn't necessarily like the highest recruit, but we felt that there were some things in his game. And, and as we built him in over time, we said, Hey, here are some of the details that are important to playing in this position for us. And he was perfect with these details and he worked himself up to become an all American. And when everyone asked me why it's, like, it, it's because he got all the details, right. And he, he's so good at those details because he served. And if you don't get details, right, people get hurt. And so he took that to heart and he really followed through with everything. And his stock rose as a player because of that. It's fascinating. I love it. You know, because those are the type of coaching things where you can change a person's life. But if, and I used to say this, I, I, as a player, I used to try and be this, be more receptive to criticism. So you could sit someone down and tell them, these are the things you need to do. And they could take it as criticism, or you could sort of say, oh, this is, they're helping me. And, it, you know, with these comments and they're, they're looking at, they're pulling for me. I actually had that with auditioning for stuff. I used to look at the people who were auditioning me, who are they to judge me? And these people don't even know what I've done or do. Uh, and you get a kind of a bad mindset. And someone said to me, no, man, they're, they want you to be good. They, they want you to win the role. They want you to win the part. And I feel like uh, a lot of that translates to, to soccer. And I, I know you have to coach each kid differently, uh, each student differently. But um, I think if sometimes they can change the, the perspective and say, no, no, this isn't criticism. He is trying to help or she is trying to help me. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, going back to the alumni game, I think uh, those are fun to have. And, you know, I'm sure there's a few people there. I, I miss Western Mass. I haven't been there in a while, but been good to see that how did how did you do did you play against their team or did you play alumni versus alumni no i couldn't play against the guys you know we played against the alumni and everybody what i love about it is nobody's out trying to prove anything everybody yeah. we're knocking it around some guys were younger you know in their mid-20s like sort of in the midfield just you know turning on balls quick and stuff that only seemed to be a distant memory for me now but uh i knocked it around i stayed on the outside back uh, right just kind of played the way i was facing what cleats <laughs> do you wear I don't know. I had to borrow a pair from somebody because, because I've, again, I've been on the road for what I've been on the road for almost two weeks now after I was home for five days. So I couldn't pack everything. So uh, I thought somebody would have some boots and um, one of the players loaned me his boots. They were too small. So they were, I was ripping them up, you know, with my feet, they're popping out. What What's amazing to me though, I'll tell you this is how light the boots are now yeah. compared to the ones I wore, you know, you'd have the, of the leather pumas and they would be soaking wet, maybe, you know, five pounds each. Yeah. These are all like this nylon meshy material. And my, my biggest concern was like, wow, you get a, you know, a, a cleat on the top of your boot would, uh, would hurt more. So it's oh, not it hurts, protect yeah. you there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can't get the kangaroo leather. Like, uh, there are states like California. You can't, or you can't get the Adidas, uh, Copas because the, yeah, it, Adidas it doesn't seem like this them. doesn't seem like the, uh, 
the cleats are made out of your boots are made out of that stuff anymore. They everybody had like these ni- light nylon ones. Um, no, those are the common ones, but their copas are still out there. But there are certain yeah, states yeah. where you're not allowed to to ship them. It's uh, it's right. become interesting. But anyway, back to the show. It, the Italian guys I used to play with, they go, "You you have the boots with the kangaroo. You have the boots at the kangaroo." <laughs> I go, "The what? The kangaroo?" I was like, oh, "Kangaroo? Oh my god!" <laughs> kangaroo. So, so uh, no, but it was fun. But what I was going to say to you is. You know, with the infrastructure you're trying to build, uh, I've watched Mike Noonan do it at Clemson as well. We have a tradition of winning. We play at home. It's a big thing. Uh, players come back. They talk to the younger players to mentor. Um, do you have that in mind with, with the program you're building at LMU? Yeah, yeah. When you build, you, any, I think every coach will say the same. is like you want to have every generation of players that come through are always welcome back to come and visit and be a part of not only the alumni weekends, but just anytime they're available. And, and part of that is sometimes giving them a platform to to share their experiences, whether it's soccer experiences or professional experiences with our group. Uh, so that they understand that there's a next chapter and that people have come through this chapter successfully and moved forward. So we always try to keep them engaged in that way. Absolutely. You know what I liked about uh, the players, I would say in the college game, and I've been pretty critical, you know, of some of it, sometimes it's pretty destructive, but you know, one of the things we've talked about on the show before, and there's an article in Soccer America about it as well is is referee mobbing when the players mob a a rep. I cannot stand that. I hate it. It's yeah. sort of disrespectful and they'll complain about everything. And five guys get right in the referee's face. I think boom, 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 throw them all a yellow card. I really do. And one thing I noticed in college, there's not as much, there's not that running up to the referee, getting in his face, square shoulder to shoulder, you know, uh, right in his face, five of yelling and stuff. And uh, it seems to be a little cultural, but I'm telling you what, I'll tell you what, if you give two guys rush up and get in the ref's face, boom, boom, yellow card, boom, boom, just like that. Boom, boom. Yeah, that's a lot of boom, boom. Um, the uh, uh, kangaroo is a kangaroo goes a boom, boom at the kangaroo. <laughs> MLS has done a good job of trying to nip that in the bud because yeah. that, that's a fine. So I know I think LAFC in particular watching some of their games, I think they've been hit at least twice this year uh, where, you know, if you congregate around the ref and, and, and linger there complaining in a mob uh, that yeah, your club gets fined and individuals as well. So, well, yeah. So you, you think of NBA, uh, they, they, do it pretty well. I think they had that uh, Latrell Sprewell, you know, kind of, I don't know, he grabbed his coach, I think, by the throat, but sort of yeah. any of the confrontational stuff in the NBA, you know, y- you get tossed. Um, football, you don't see it that much. They don't, you know. No, you do, of, though. You do. I mean, those sports have very little tolerance for any kind of interaction with the referee. Right. Well, you know, that's you touch say, a like, referee or you say something, you're getting basketball, you get a technical. In football, you get tossed quickly for anything like that. Yeah, so the one football player was that good. One football player was running off the field. He just nicked the referee. Yeah, I I think he did on purpose, and he got you know a penalty and fined. I think in baseball, you know, you can't even turn and go face to face with the umpire because you'll he'll throw you out. um, Because I think baseball, you have a lot of leeway to yell at and argue. Yeah, but but all the gamesmanship that they do, and all the sort of the unwritten rules where the where the guy will be in the batter's box and he'd be like, "Hey, yeah. ref, he won't face the ref," but he'd be like, yeah. oh, "Come on, Bobby, that was way outside. That was way outside, you know." But if you turn and face the referee and get in his face, he's like, "Okay, you're confronting me in front of, you know, thirteen thousand yeah. fans here. Uh, yeah. You know, get boom, in boom, boom, you're out. Boom, boom, no kangaroo for you. That's <laughs> it. You're out. So I I would say that. Um, I would almost, I don't know how you could approach it. Could also say like if four or five of you get in the referee's face, give a yellow card that is a team yellow where 
you all have a yellow card now. Something like that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see it as a big problem at the highest levels. I, I do agree it's worse in certain countries. I think countries yeah. like the U.S. and MLS that have have actually proactively tried to stop it have done a good job. Because right. the consequences go like I think there are different tiers to the consequences where like it affects the the club once, twice, the fines keep going higher, and then you know individuals start to get fined, head coach gets fined for it, you know all that stuff. So there's accountability up the ladder with it, and it's it's worked really well in MLS. I think other countries should look at it, but I do agree that culturally that there are different thresholds for what you know different you know uh, uh, football associations consider yeah. to be acceptable. And the gamesmanship at the penalty kicks, I, that annoys me because it's this like dance that they all do. It's like, get get out of the guy's face. The goalie can't come up and get in the, fa- the, the shot taker's face. Other players can't come up and get in the guy's face. You have to get out of the box or you or you get a yellow, you know? Yeah, and the players are adjusting. You know how the U.S. has done it now too, where when a penalty is called, they'll have somebody grab the ball yeah. if they are the penalty kick taker and then they take all the stick and then when it's all said and done, they hand the ball off to the actual penalty kick taker. Yeah, Delatore did that. He took it away from yeah. Pulisic, and then Pulisic just stepped up and, and yeah. knocked it. Uh, it's an interesting tactic, you know, but it becomes cat and mouse. Then now you say, okay, well, we know this dude's going to take it, so we're going to start bothering him too. So it goes round and round, the evolutions of it. So mobbing the ref, you're in agreement. Uh, so I think it's interesting. I think um, Italy does it, your beloved Italy. Um, they beat England. And you know they just uh, erected, a, elected, erected, elected a prime minister who's like far right. I guess like uh, she's she's to the right of Mussolini, so should be interesting. Yeah, and there she's using some words that have been used from decades. Yeah, ago that can be a playbook. Yeah, yeah. There's a I well, I, th- I saw an read an interesting uh, article on Brazil when they played their best when they were the Brazil of of lore. Um, they had uh, a military government in there, a far right government. And they said that for some reason, they thought that the, re- the way Brazil played the way they played was because for a country, they were celebrating freedom and creativity uh, in such a repressive regime. So, and uh, I don't know if the Brazilians have done it as well as they used to uh, dominate like that, but um, it should be interesting how it affects. And Berlusconi's back in the, in the mix that that guy, I don't know if yeah. anybody's dying is, is believing the dyed hair that he has. It's like he got a big brown hockey helmet on his head. AC Milan, right? He's been, that's where he was all these years. The Berlusconi. I think, yeah, yeah, that's the team he owns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a new uh, CEO and secretary general. I don't know if you know this guy, JT Batson. Have you, I guess he was a player. And you know what I like about it, Chris? He worked in the tech uh, area. He was a CEO somewhere else. So, I like when, and he used to talk to Hank Steinbrecher about this, Hank, a former secretary general as well. And Hank said that his most valuable experience was getting out of soccer for a couple of years with, with Quaker Oats and learning NASCAR and all these other ways to market things because it's all about the money and the eyeballs that follow. And so uh, sometimes when you're higher from within, it's uh, not the same. Now we have sort of an outsiders come in and we'll see what happens because I think- yeah. um, you know, there's yeah. some progress that could be made. Yeah, but he's also been on the inside in the past in terms of being on the finance committee. So, you right. know, he's got some exposure to U.S. soccer. Um, yeah, you know, you look at it and I guess in one lens you say, well, okay, what's his actual background in the game? 
uh, and he hasn't particularly played at the highest levels. Okay, fair enough. But at the same time, you really like that, you know, he stayed in his lane. I mean, he admits that, you know, he's not the, the top pro player, but that he's always had a passion for building soccer projects and soccer events. And that's what we need, right? We have a technical staff and he's not, you know, he doesn't right. need to be on the technical side. He's just looking to put the butts in the seats and get the sponsorship and try to get as, as much of a business model behind the, the Federation as possible, which is absolutely what we need. Yeah. And I'm all for that because, you know, that's a business position Yeah, and you have to hire people and let them do what they do for you. Um, director of player personnel and the coaches. So uh, let's, let's see what happens. Um, it's good. There's so many considerations to make. I was talking to Dave Wright, who, you know, is at us soccer as well. And, you know, Dave was talking about, Oh, Germany, why he went through a whole checklist of why the games were in Germany. And, you know, they were, they were legit. I get it. Almost like you said, a lot of the guys are European based. You get a good, uh, you know, you fly the MLS guys over and, and uh, the European players are there already under an arduous, training regiment, you know, with their domestic teams. So, um, yeah, there's a lot a to body consider. Clock. So it is a business. I, I, yeah. I just, to your point, I guess I just love that it is a business now. It's not guys with mullets and flip-flops and, uh, you know, the whole soccer. Oh, no, absolutely. Taken I think we're, we're far past yeah. that point, which is great. Yeah. I, I also think they, they're in Germany because, you know, from a body clock perspective, you want to be somewhat close to the time zones that you're going to go to and not halfway around the world in the U.S. And, and so it starts to give the players a rhythm for what to expect when they ultimately report to the national team. Hey, so back to the national team before they play Saudi Arabia tonight, I guess, when or today, when the, this this airs tomorrow. Um, it was quite funny. I was on a cruise ship once, and I think I got off in Barbados, and I walked up to the woman and said, um, do you have the USA Today here? And she said, today's? And I said, yes. She goes, come back tomorrow. <laughs> she goes, it's a day late in the Caribbean. So, you have USA Today? Today's? Yeah. Come back tomorrow. So um, uh, I think the biggest unanswered question with, uh, you know, people were talking about, does Aronson not start or does Polisic sit at first? Uh, that's a, you know, abundance of riches, I think, with that. It's a good question. And it's a question we didn't really have to answer for many of the U.S. national teams that we've sent over. We didn't have the depth that we have now and the um, options, which I think is one of the reasons we kind of lose track of who's who, playing where, what position. It gets it gets very difficult. But the number nine, I think, is still a real toss-up. And there's been a lot of talk about the Peapock. He's scoring goals in the Bundesliga. And, um, you know, uh, Pepe was brought in. Um, and Josh Sargent got a shot. I don't know if he did himself any favors there. Uh, he does look leaner and a bit quicker. So I think another year or two in the Prem for him, he's starting to put the ball in the net. Maybe he'll develop. Yeah, I mean, this one of the big on difference. Yeah, one of the big differences of this World Cup is that the players are going to be coming into your camp fully fit. You know, unless they've got an injury situation, they are in the prime of their season. They've got games right. under their belt. They're far away from their preseason. They are ready to go physically. That's why I was a little surprised at the number of substitutions because that smells like you're trying to give people minutes and trying to get them fit and, you know, that kind of an exercise. Yeah, yeah but you can't do it this late. late. You don't need to do it this late. So, yeah. so either you're looking at combinations of players or I think I'm, I'm just a little unclear on what the point was before the game. And you almost wondered like, what is the value of having come out before the games and said, here's what our approach is going to be just to get on the front end of the narrative. Cause now you're chasing your tail as a staff trying to explain what you, what you decided and you've already right. made, you've already made the bed because now you got to manage the Saudi Arabia game based on how you manage the first game. And 
there's a good chance fans won't be happy after game two. So. Well, they're never happy. Uh, even after a win, they're not happy generally, which is why I don't know how you do what you do uh, as a coach. Uh, I think I was a little too th- – a stand-up comic who's too, too thin-skinned to coach. I don't know. I guess well, that was, I was going to say the me. answer is you just – you develop such a thick skin a for thick skin that people's right. opinions don't matter to you and you just make the best choices that you can for your group. Well, you know, but the number nine, to get back to that, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Pepe, who I think is going to develop into a, a really impactful U.S. men's national team player, whether it's just a little early in his development. You know, people were, you know, were saying he's the next Maradona there for a while. The poor guy. I'm like, we said it on the show. We're like, give the guy a break. Let him develop and, and you know, grow into his abilities. Um, and now he is playing overseas. But, but Peacock is actually playing in the Bundesliga, putting some numbers up. Yeah, I mean, I've said this all along these last few weeks and months that we've spoken is like where I feel like we're crowbarring the nine into this game model because he's set on playing in a certain way. And you wonder if it'd be better off to adjust how you play. And maybe it's too late for that. But I still think you have Reyna, Pulisic and uh, Aronson, let's say, up top and let them be mobile and interchange a little bit. You can still find fluid ways to close down zones and defend and counterpress. Um, those would be the most dynamic three that I think you could put out there. Yeah, and it seems like the, the goals have come from and goal scoring opportunities have come from our wide play and uh, you know on the wings and speed and youth, you know, with Wea and Aronson and um, Polisic. So yeah, but seem... that's not, I mean, it's not CONCACAF. That's not going to work against the best opponents in the world. Yeah. You know? And right. so, you know, that, that's going to come off as very textbooky when you get down to it against the better teams. It's going to require more than that. And so that's where I feel like the nuance of some fluidity and interchanging might, might put teams off balance a little bit and put our best players on the field, you know, but every staff is different. They'll look at it differently. I, I think we're probably too far down the road to reverse course on this. But mm-hmm. I've been kind of saying this for a while because here we are on the eve of the World Cup and we're still trying to figure out who the nine is. Like it's too late for that. We we need to right, know. Right. We should we need to know that answer. Well, uh, the game tomorrow against Saudi Arabia is at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, it's international men's friendly. It's on FS1, Fox Sports One. So um I watch, you know, and we talk about it here as well. I watch the broadcast as well. And and so uh, you know, ESPN, that's the last game they'll be doing in this this cycle and i guess it goes back to all the all the years we've watched bob lee and all the different places and they've always covered it and it's going to be fox the fox this year so that should be interesting want to see what they do with the game tomorrow because it'll be sort of a a uh, little pilot for for what's going to happen when we go over to cutter so uh so we'll be watching the game um we'll uh we'll shout out some comments later in the week our thoughts uh, because we'll be a week away from our next podcast but uh, and we'll comment on, on what Fox's coverage looks like. It should be interesting. What I didn't like about ESPN when they, they left the game, when the game was over, the game was over. It was nothing. It moved on to something else. It just seems like soccer is just an afterthought for them at, at times. So there was no yeah. breakdown. There was nobody in the studio. That, you know, the way Kat, Kate Abdo has all those guys in there. And, you know, it's there was just no way to talk it through what happened. No way to quantify it for the American fan. You know, you and I would talk and say, where they got caught holding the ball, they gave up, yeah. gave away, they lost possession too many times or whatever. But most people need some help processing it. It's like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. So uh, I wonder if they didn't provide that content just because they don't have the World Cup rights. And so they're just like, let's just cut it there. Yeah, I guess, I guess, but it just doesn't do a service to to the yeah. viewer. I mean, the, you know, it's already hard enough for us to buy all the, the basic streaming services. 
to, to try and follow talent from one place to the next, all the different accents that we have to sort of acclimate to, uh, you know, from around the world. But, um, but we'll see. So tomorrow, a lot of questions I think will be answered uh, as maybe he'll just tighten up his focus a little bit and try to get some wins. And uh, we'll talk about it here on OTV. All right, brother. Uh, how's your team? What do you have this week? Yeah. Uh, busy part, bunch of games in a short window of time. So, uh, call it for college teams. This is crunch time in terms of busyness. Uh, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's the middle of the season and we're all loaded with usually two games a week. So we're all super busy. Yeah. What's the record now? Uh, two wins, five ties, two wins, five ties, no losses after. Man, great. It's happening. It's happening over there. Well, good stuff. Good luck. And, uh, yeah, with what you got this week and thanks for taking the time to, to get on the show with us this week as we know you're coaching. So, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have today on over the ball. Um, for Chris Shamides, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247.